This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. This week's guest is Leif Magnuson, president of Kloss Global Sales Americas and the 2016 chair of the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by CHS Inc. CHS is a leading global agribusiness owned by farmers, ranchers, and cooperatives across the United States. Learn more at chsinc.com. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with AEM's Leif Magnuson next. In rural America, there are three things that never change. The land, the determination of the families that farm it, and the loyalty of their co-ops, which provide the markets, inputs, and agronomic expertise farmers and ranchers need to stay profitable. CHS, the nation's leading cooperative, is proud to connect member cooperatives and producers to the value of an energy, grains, and food company they own. To learn more, visit chsinc.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. The cyclical downswing in net farm income has led to a dramatic fall in U.S. agriculture equipment sales. Leif Magnuson, 2016 chair of the Association of Equipment Manufacturers, says the financial challenge is being felt well beyond the U.S. farm gate. Certainly the development that we have seen on the farm income over the last few years, I would say, is having an impact on all stakeholders in the industry, whether you're a manufacturer or a supplier to a manufacturer and and definitely also the the farming sector. Um, If we look at the farm income from 2013, we have cut that in half in this two to three year period. And obviously with the commodity prices that we are seeing now, it's also a stress on the uh, cash flow for the farmers and we are seeing continued pressure actually on the commodity prices because I think in most places around uh, North America we're expecting a good crop and a good harvest and uh, as we also know there is still a large uh, carryover inventory of uh, grains that is probably higher than what we would like to see it So uh, it will uh, most likely stay uh, uh, challenging, you know, for for the foreseeable future. Now, regionally, we can see some differences. And you can see some difference also between different sectors, whether you're in grain or whether you are in, in livestock and dairy. But if we drill in to the Midwest, what we would call the Corn Belt, this is certainly an area uh, that has been affected probably the worst. But if I look at areas like uh, Western Canada, where you see uh, more small grain grown, those farmers up there are actually quite positive today. There's a lot of reasons for that, even though even the small grain prices are going down, but there's also been a movement in the Canadian dollar. Yes, their equipment that they buy is more expensive today, but uh, there's also some other uh, upsides on the uh, grain prices. Some question for the Southern Hemisphere, Brazil, Argentina, the Black Sea region. Is the, is the U.S. the only area that is seeing challenge now, aside from uh, the Canadian market that you mentioned? Absolutely not, uh, for different reasons maybe, but the, the two largest producers of ag produce in in South America, being Brazil and Argentina, have both seen declines and difficulties in the markets, but it's been driven also 
by their economical and the political situation in these countries. The markets definitely are down, and it's equally as big a challenge down there as what we are seeing in North America. How is the supply of used and certainly late model used equipment, how is that affecting this situation? It's been a challenge, I would say, for high horsepower farming equipment. Uh, You talk uh, big tractors, you talk combines, you talk uh, self-propelled sprayers, you talk uh, big planters. These categories have suffered a lot. I think it's fair to say that there was an oversupply from 2010-11 through 2013, and these inventories were, were building up. Our dealers and the industry were putting values on this equipment that was probably right at the time. But as we saw commodity prices come down, new sales going down, and there was a glut of used equipment out there that very quickly devaluated in price. So I think as an industry, whether it's manufacturers or dealers, There has been a tremendous effort in right-sizing this inventory. Uh, I think this is still an ongoing process. But I think one positive thing out of this is I think that we are now starting to see the right values on on used equipment. Working through the cyclical nature of agriculture, sometimes it is these most difficult times that leads to innovation. Can you talk about the cost-benefit analysis, or can you talk about the, the things that companies must do today to help producers through this difficult time? I can only speak for, for my company, and uh, we are actually a privately held family company. So, you know, one, one good thing that we have got going for ourselves is that we don't, uh, you know, answer to uh, media and in- investor relations in quarterly reports. And, you know, we have taken, uh, despite that we are seeing, uh, uh, you know, lower turnover and uh, pressure on our profit line, we have continued to invest the same amount of R&D dollars uh, as we have done even in the good times. In fact, this year we're spending more money in R&D than we ever have. And why are we doing that? I think, uh, I think you just said it, that during these times, the farmers and our customer base is looking for more value. We, we are not talking necessarily about the cost of the equipment, but we are talking about the cost per acre and what you can get out of it from that point of view. And that means that we need to find innovative ways to lower the cost of operations. And a lot of the money that we are spending today in R&D may not be on the iron or the steel, but a lot of it is going into different types of technology. So whether it's embedded into the machine directly or whether it's communication between machine to machine or a a system of machines in order to make decisions better for the farmer uh, to be more efficient and uh, at the end of the day lower his cost. I understand each of your members obviously is uh, competitive with one another and certainly they have their own research and development programs where they're developing new machines for farmers. But whether it's data or whether it's sustainability or whether it's emissions, do you find areas where your members are working together collectively 
to improve agriculture machines and farmer productivity? I think there is a number of areas where the association, AEM, is collaboratively working as a group and uh, it comes down to different standards. And uh, I can give you some examples that uh, AEM worked very hard on the transportation bill to include the lighting and marking standards that ASABE had developed. And we were just successful recently that this has now been included in the bill. And what this does is really is harmonizing standards for manufacturers that we can all have the same and we can have the same in all of the different states. Other things that we, we, we are working on collectively could be different state bills that is coming up. And, and I can think of a recent one in Wisconsin, uh, the implements of husbandry. Uh, that is really about regulating, you know, weight and uh, axle weight, height, width, and, and for transportation on highways and roads. You know, absolutely, these things need to be regulated, and uh, it's not like manufacturers. We are against all of this, but what we are really afraid of is that if states take a different position, and we are seeing a lot of different state regulations on what you can and cannot do on the, on the rural roads or the interstates and the highways. So our goal here is that let's find a common standard that can work all across the country. And at the end of the day, that's going to make manufacturers more efficient. It's going to make movement of equipment from one state to the other uh, much better. I think we will be a safer uh, safer operation if uh, if we can find a solution to this. Obviously, trade is important to U.S. agriculture and the ability to sell our product to the rest of the globe. But but how is trade? How does it affect the agriculture equipment manufacturers? And and what do you make of either candidate that seems to be opposed to global trade deals? So you know, export and trade is is vital to both the U.S. ag community and to manufacturers alike. And I think, despite ever increasing challenges, you know, in the form of more regulations and, and a crumbling infrastructure, I think um, the the you know it, it, this is the core of what we want to try and uh, come together as an industry as well. U.S. manufacturers exported around 21 billion of agricultural and construction equipment in 2015, and both of these, you know, you couple that to the 130 billion that the U.S. ag industry is exporting. Both of these areas are supporting millions and millions of jobs. And to make sure that we stay competitive, you know, we need uh, a common sense trade agreements, and we need to rebuild you know, also the infrastructure for the future and just not band-aid our current aging infrastructure. Back to trade, I think we are hopeful that TPP will be brought up here during the lame duck session. If not, and as you mentioned, both parties' nominees, they have downplayed TPP, and the fear is that this then will probably take another round of negotiations that will take time, uh, but it will also put further risks to the export that we are doing uh, combined as an industry. What would be the effect, and I realize this is a crystal ball question, but from your perspective, 
What would be the effect if the U.S. steps away from a TPP agreement in 40% of the globe's gross domestic product? The fear that I have is that there could be other nations that are already negotiating with the countries that now makes up the TPP. And uh, if we don't act swiftly and quickly, we could also be left behind because let's make it clear the US is is the most important uh, negotiating partner in TPP and we need to make sure that those countries stay on our sideline and stay connected to us because it it's a real risk for uh, ag exports and i think whether we talk grain whether we talk livestock and and other produce this is a very important uh, uh, income driver for the agricultural community. Agriculture obviously has been impacted by the Environmental Protection Agency, not only from regulations like the new waters of the U.S. rule, but also to emissions and to the fuels that we use and that we potentially will be able to use. How's the relationship between the AEM and the EPA, and are there particular areas that you're watching closely? I will jump straight to the renewable fuel standards. I think we, AEM, manufacturers and farmers alike, we need to take a leading role in educating our elected leaders, industry groups, and everyday everyday voters about the important link between the renewable fuel standard and the sustainability and the growth in manufacturing and farming. And I think at the heart, the renewable fuel standards promotes American energy security, and it is an important part of the rural growth for both the U.S. ag sector and, and for manufacturing jobs. So when it comes to EPA's alluded to a reduction in the ethanol mandate last year, we were somewhat heartened that the administration in the end uh, is ramping up the ethanol blend requirement, but we are, as an industry, disappointed that it falls short of what is required by law. So um, we have taken a leading role uh, at AEM, working with uh, elected leaders and including EPA uh, to promote, uh, you know, this important portion of uh, the ag industry. Prior to the opening of the Farm Progress Show in Boone, Iowa this year, you partnered with AgriPulse at a forum to discuss the infrastructure of the country and the development of rural infrastructure. How does infrastructure and equipment manufacturers go hand in hand? Well, infrastructure is undoubtedly linked to agriculture and rural development. By the year 2050, the world population will have grown to 9.6 billion people. So how does the U.S. ag community plan on feeding a world population of that size using our current infrastructure system? And I think the answer to that question is critical to the continued economic health of the ag industry. Ag is the largest user of freight freight transportation in the United States. It's about 31% of all ton miles transported in the U.S. And as I mentioned before, much of this freight also travels out of our country supporting the ag exports. 
So an effective transportation system supports all rural economies. It reduces the price farmers are paying for inputs, such as seeds, fertilizers, and it's raising the value of their crops. And it greatly increases also the, the, the market access for the produce. So the economies of rural areas are intertwined. As the ag community thrives, so does its supporting community. So um, transportation system that contributes to the success of agriculture also supports manufacturing. Although the traditional view of rural America is agriculture, but manufacturing in rural communities is also critical. About 15% of the rural workforce works in manufacturing. And a share of total employment, manufacturing is 42% more important to rural America than to metropolitan America. So when you look at infrastructure, whether it's rail, highway, barges, this is one of the most cited requirements when it comes to staying competitive as a manufacturer or in the ag business. How important for agriculture, for equipment manufacturers, for rural communities to have adequate bandwidth and access to reliable broadband? I think this is it's a very good question and this is one uh, topic that we as an association are addressing. And uh, I can just look at uh, my own company where we are updating our machines to be more productive. More productivity today means that we are utilizing new technology. So we integrate technology to make machines smarter. So we have smart machines that are connected to a system of machines. And eventually, this system of machines are integrated into the farming operation uh, as a holistic view. And this technology can only work if there is the necessary connectivity between machines. And that is what broadband infrastructure solutions is all about. And unfortunately, in rural areas, nearly one-fourth of the population, or almost 15 million people, lack access to this service. What is the takeaway that you would like people to think about in terms of rural infrastructure and development of rural areas? I think the United States farmers have been blessed with excellent infrastructure to bring their grains or livestock from the farm to the elevator, to the, from the elevator to the rivers, and being able to keep the cost down for the consumer and to be able to compete in the export market. As I am traveling the world and I'm seeing how much other countries are putting into their infrastructure in order to lower their logistics cost, I think it's critical that the United States needs to take a long-term view on what our infrastructure needs to look like, not today or tomorrow, but what it needs to look like in 2020, 2030, or 2050. Are there particular paradigm shifts that you see, whether from your industry or in the globe as we know it, that you're paying closest attention to and that we must prepare for? The biggest fear 
we can have as an industry, whether it's a manufacturer or in the ag community, could be something disruptive that can come uh, and change the way we are doing things. I don't necessarily see that disruptive uh, movement or happening coming anytime soon, but I think there are a lot of evolution, a lot of innovation taking place on the technology side. And I think this will also change the way our equipment operate and how the equipment is intertwined into the whole system. I think coupled to that, what could be disruptive and weather patterns, uh, for whatever reason, seems to also be uh, a threat also to supply. So I don't know if that's a paradigm shift, but I think we are looking at weather patterns that are different from what they used to be. And, and this may also change in how we are looking at agriculture as a whole. Well, Leif Magnuson, we want to thank you very much for spending time with us here on Open Mic. We appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. It is Open Mic. And, sir, you have an open forum. What I would like to close with is that I think talking as a manufacturer, manufacturing is essential to the U.S. economy. It's supporting thousands and thousands of good-paying jobs across the country. A majority of voters, I think, in a poll, 84%, so it includes the majority of Republicans and Democrats and independents, say that manufacturing is important to the overall health of the U.S. economy. 61% of registered voters hold a favorable view of manufacturing business in the United States. And the total economic footprint of the ag equipment manufacturing industry is greater than $103 billion. So total employment cluster for the farm equipment manufacturing industry is over 375,000 jobs. And manufacturing is even more important to the rural communities where it employs 15% of the workforce. With all the challenges we are now facing in manufacturing or in the ag community, whether it's trade, infrastructure, uh, renewable fuel standards, overreaching regulations, and with the current election cycle coming up, it's very important that we as an industry, ag community and farm equipment manufacturers alike, stay close and stay at the table and communicate and that we can protect American jobs and the American industry. Our thanks to Leif Magnuson president of Kloss Global Sales Americas and the 2016 chair of the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by CHS Inc. CHS is a leading global agribusiness owned by farmers, ranchers, and cooperatives across the United States. Learn more at chsinc.com. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Alley.